Girlfriends, episode number 66, Real Life Tips from a Work-at-Home Mom. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about egg hunts, 80s rock concerts, spring's long-awaited arrival, and real-life productivity tips for working at home. I can't wait to get started. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? Glad you're here. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me on Holy Week, this happy Holy Week We've almost made it. If Lent's been long and hard for you, we're almost there. Take heart. And this is such a beautiful, beautiful time of year. I love Holy Week. I just love everything about it. I love all the liturgies. I love how deep and rich all of the liturgies are. I love that we kind of set aside this week, preparing ourselves for Easter kind of hardcore at the end of Lent. It's really kind of a Lent nerd anyway, but um, Holy Week is even better. So I hope you're going to be enjoying a Holy Week. Um, When my kids were all little, I didn't always go to all the liturgies. Dan and I would kind of switch off, but I'm planning to go to everything this year, so I'm pretty excited about that. And um, bring whatever kids are available to come with me and uh, hope that they can in- experience it deeply and richly as, as I did when um, I was a kid and I've always enjoyed doing every year. So I hope you'll be having a holy week too. If you can't get to everything, I, I just want to say to any young moms out there who, you know, it's a struggle. It's hard to bring a bunch of little kids to mass once a week. I've actually got a listener question about that very topic and I'm going to take that up um, more toward the end of the podcast. But it's hard. Give yourself a break. You know, maybe take turns with your husband going to like you go to Holy Thursday and he might go to the veneration of the cross on on Good Friday or, you know, whatever, whatever makes sense or get a sitter or just give yourself a break. It's these aren't, you know, holy days of obligation, except for Easter Sunday, you do have to go to mass for Easter. Um, But otherwise, you know, don't don't lay guilt on yourself. If this isn't a time in your life where you're easily able to go to a lot of liturgies that that time will come. I and I remember really missing it, actually, um, when I was a young mom, and it was hard, and sometimes would make the decision to not go and would try to, you know, make it a, a kind of different day at home, like Holy Thursday at home, maybe reading the gospel passages of the last supper with the kids or, you know, talking about what the liturgy was and that kind of thing. Um, but I remember really missing going. So I, I understand if that's, if this is a tough time of year for you, if this is a tough time in your life for getting to the liturgies, don't add to your burden by making yourself feel guilty about it or pushing yourself to, to take on too much. It's, it's a long week, you know, and um, there's a lot of stuff that you can do that you can do at home. So Anyway, that aside, I am looking forward to Holy Week. Um, So what have you been doing? Uh, I just got back from an 80s rock concert. (laughs) Dan and I went uh, to a Def Leppard Poison Tesla concert this weekend, which is so funny to me to actually say that because it's not me. You know, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of that music. I wasn't even back in the 80s. Dan really liked uh, some of those bands back in the 80s. Um, and he was he was really looking forward to this concert. He bought the tickets. And I was more than happy to go because it's an excuse to get out and do something fun. And you know what? 
It was actually a really good concert. I was a little bit afraid of, you know, some of these bands, you know, maybe they were going to use bad language or, you know, something yucky. But it, for the most part, wasn't, there wasn't anything offensive in the content. Um, I, I guess I would pause before calling any of it family friendly, but it was fun and it was good music. I mean, a lot of it was, and um, we really just enjoyed getting out. And it was so funny because if you went to, you know, a Tesla or Def Leppard or Poison concert back in the 80s, it was a different crowd from who was there last night. Let me tell you, (laughs) it was um, (laughs) uh, people my age and older, I want to say. A lot of old people um, were enjoying that music last night. So funny to me that here we are, guys, you know, like, (laughs) so, um, you know, Dan did, I think he did go to a a Def Leppard concert back in the day. And, you know, it's funny just picturing like what that concert was like, um, the kind of people who were there, it was all young people back then. And now it's those, it's the same people, but we're all a lot older. There was this couple in front of me that I got to talking to and um, it was a husband and wife and the, and the wife was along, she, she actually wasn't familiar with any music that she was uh, there for and her husband was a, a big fan. And she told me that she wasn't sure she was going to enjoy it. So she had brought along her knitting <laughs> in case she needed to entertain herself during the concert. Okay. Uh, yeah, this wasn't a raucous crowd. Um, but I think she did enjoy the music because I did not see her take her knitting out. <laughs> so um, very different, but fun. And, you know, I'm so grateful that Dan makes efforts to have us go away together on a regular, semi-regular basis, even if it's just for one overnight it's so fun and it just kind of shifts things in our relationship a little bit. It gives us time to, you know, really have, even though our kids aren't all little and constantly distracting us and interrupting us, like years ago, it was really hard to even have a conversation with Dan. Um, we're just busy with life and we're just, there's so many things that distract us at home. So if we go somewhere fun together, uh, you know, we can go to dinner and just stay overnight somewhere for one night. It's totally easy to do with the ages our kids are now. We've got older kids who are able to handle things at home and, and younger kids who aren't so young that they they don't like it if we're gone, that they, you know, that they're upset or they would miss us. You know, my youngest is 10. And, you know, when we go away for one night like that, the kids love it because they like have like a movie party and stay up late. And, you know, they, they love it when we tell them we're going to be going away. So it's, it's super positive all around. And um, I want to encourage you that if it's at all possible in your marriage at this point to make the effort to do it. Sometimes you think, oh, I don't want to spend the money. And uh, for sure, I get that. But it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And it's just so worth it to me. I think in inside of your your married relationship, it just gives you such a boost and you just focus on each other for a little bit. And it really does change the way that Dan and I interact, even for days afterwards, that we're just more connected. And I, I just think that's such a, a worthwhile thing to do on a regular basis. Of course, there are some stages in your life where it's, you know, probably impossible. Um, and I know we certainly have felt that way. And then, you know, many years went by where we didn't do that. So um, if you're there, I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about it. But keep it in mind for the future when it might become something that's more doable for for you in your marriage. I, I just think it's so worthwhile. Um, what else is going on? Oh, we have beautiful weather. Spring is finally here. 
I hope it's spring where you are. If it's spring here, it must be spring everywhere because I think we were the last. We were the last on the list to get spring this year. But the forecast for this week, I'm, I'm recording this on Sunday and it was beautiful today in the upper 60s and it's supposed to be even warmer tomorrow and even warmer the next day. A couple of days ago, Dan showed me the forecast on his phone and I think he was a little teary-eyed. He was seriously just feeling like, I can't believe it's finally going to be this nice out and sunny and warm and the snow is going to melt. I'm actually recording this. I'm sitting um, in a parking lot because my son Stephen has confirmation tonight and I just figured I'd record this during his class. Um, But I'm sitting in a parking lot with a giant, giant pile of snow in front of me just covered with dirt. It's so disgusting. I mean, oh, all those romantic ideas of snow. This is like the opposite of that. It's so gross. Just a dirt covered pile of snow. And it's going to be here for a good long while. I mean, even though it's going to be warm, these big piles of snow in parking lots and like the one that's at the end of our driveway at home, horrible. And they'll be there for a long time. It takes a lot to melt that kind of snow. I remember one year, Dan paid one of the little kids to go out and just chop down the giant pile of snow in our yard because it was spring, but the pile was still there. And um, the the snow would melt if you kind of shoveled through and spread it out a little bit more. And so that, so that, so that was, was one way that we got rid of the snow one year. I don't think he's paid to do that this year, but um, kind of seems like maybe we should do that. If you're a person who suffers from the weather, whether it's not getting enough sun or just the long, dark, cold gray days of winter just get to you. I I really, I I think, um, I I know from experiencing it with Dan, I mean, for sure, I feel it. And I definitely felt it this year, because some years are are worse than others. But it's something to take seriously in your life. Like it affects your mood and affects your level of happiness. And it affects your, ultimately, your whole family and everybody that you interact with, if you really suffer from that. So it's it's worthwhile to try to intervene with that. Um, You know, Dan really suffered this year. um, And he's had some years where he's done better and um, handled it better. But this year was just so hard. We got walloped with storms at the end of the year, you know, like the snow melted and we just got this, these horrible storms followed by long stretches of cold, which is unusual for this time of year. Usually if we get like a late in the season snowstorm, it melts pretty quickly, but that didn't happen this end of the season. It's been tough. So you know what? I hope it is spring where you are and I hope you'll get out and just soak up some of that sunshine and goodness and warm air and just be grateful for God's beautiful world coming alive, all the mud and the frogs. I'm looking forward to all of it. So I'm grateful for that. Also, I wanted to talk about egg hunts. I saw somebody on Twitter saying like, just so you know, it's not cool. (laughs) I don't think she said cool, but anyway, it's not a good idea to have an egg hunt before Easter Sunday. Like, and I know a lot of people do, and I know we have before, like we've participated in them anyway. I don't think we ever planned one for before Easter Sunday. And we color eggs on Easter Saturday, on Holy Saturday, sorry, not Easter Saturday, the day before Easter every year. It's kind of a tradition that we do that together on that day in the morning. Um, but I don't know, it, it kind of bothers me when people make make more rules for other people. You know, like the church doesn't say, of course, you know, liturgically appropriate to do all the Easter things during the Easter season. But you see the same thing at Christmas when it's like, you know, it's Advent, we're not going to have a candy cane until December 25th, and we're not going to decorate, and we're not going to put up the tree. And, you know, people get the same way I think about Easter. And 
I don't know. I mean, gosh, it's an egg hunt. You know, <laughs> I've seen some um, some advertisements for for ones in the area, and I know a lot of like businesses will sponsor them and whatever, and they'll do them before Easter, and they'll have the Easter bunny there. And I mean, I, I guess I can get it if you're you're not into that, but just it bothers me some of that kind of judginess. Like I think sometimes it's tempting, and I know I've been guilty of this too, to kind of build our own selves up in our own mind, like I'm doing it the right way, and all these other people are less worthy Catholics. Not that this person on Twitter meant that by anything that she was sharing. It just kind of put me in the mind of thinking about that. Um, but, you know, I think that that is a temptation in, in our, our faith lives and especially, you know, for those of us raising families to notice what other people are doing and compare what we're doing to them and hope, you know, try to make sure that we're coming out ahead. We're doing things the right way. And um, I think a lot of that comes from insecurity. Um, at least I know it did for me because I used to do this to myself and others a lot more when I was a younger mom and less sure of myself. You kind of are looking for that kind of confidence and security that you are doing the right thing. And part of a bad way that you can seek to do that is by you know, pronouncing other ways that other people are doing it the wrong way, um, which of course is not what we're called to do as Christians. We are um, called to be better than that. So anyway, I just thought I would mention that. Um, One interesting thing that I saw advertised um, was an egg drop, which is, there's a, a I guess it's a Christian church that's sponsoring this at a couple of different, I think it's three different locations in New Hampshire. Um, They do an egg drop from a helicopter in three different locations in the state, like over fields. So like children can go and they drop these eggs and then the kids can go and and gather the eggs, which sounds super cool and dramatic. Um, And so I looked it up when I heard about it to find out more about it. And it's this church, this um, Protestant church that sponsors it. And the, the locations, where the egg drops are going to be are secret until Easter Sunday. And here's the catch. They announce the location at the end of their Sunday services on Easter Sunday. So you got to go to the service to get your kid a ticket. I guess it's free and as many kids as want can get tickets, but um, you have to go to their, their church, their Sunday services in order to find out the secret location for the egg drop. Anyway, I thought that was interesting and I thought that's kind of a cool way to evangelize. And um, I've never heard of any Catholic churches doing any, some similar thing, but I don't know. It's kind of a cool idea. And um, I think we have a lot to learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters sometimes they can be super creative and um, have endless uh, sometimes seems like resources and energy and ideas and um, there's just a lot that we can learn there all right I'm going to move on to uh, this week's topic which is productivity yay Uh, I'm not really a productivity podcaster but um, a few weeks ago I I think I mentioned something about productivity or working at home tips and those kinds of things, efficiency. And I I was just kind of seeing, uh, I think it was a reader had asked me about that to do a show about that. And um, I asked you all if you were interested in that topic. And I heard from a lot of you who said you actually are and that you would you would be interested in, in hearing my ideas about that. So, um, you know, for me, I mean, I, I'm calling this real life tips from a work at home mom because that's what I feel like. I feel like there are these productivity blogs and podcasts, which I enjoy. I like listening to a lot of them and I get good ideas from them. But 
I feel like they kind of, well, like a lot of other things in life, set up this super ideal, which is not quite attainable for somebody like me. I always feel like some of it makes sense and I can get good ideas there, but the the actual, you know, the, the people who are putting these together, often they work from home and they have no children or they're not even married. And it's just a different kind of life than when you're trying to balance working at home with your family. Um, and there's just, you know, limited amounts of um, things that are possible for someone who's working at home and they've still got children that are home. For me, I've got my, my youngest who are homeschooled, so they aren't even going to school during the day. Um, but I just want to kind of share some some real life tips because I really have, you know, I hear from people all the time that are like, you must be so organized because they see that I, I do many different things and they just think they pronounce me an organized person. Well, I'm not at all. I mean, that's a joke. I am not a naturally organized person. Ask my husband or just take a look at my sock drawer or or my my um my makeup. Oh my gosh. I I like makeup and I have a ton of makeup and it is not organized. It's horrible. I have these nice little boxes I keep it in, but it is a giant wreck. Anyway, so I'm not naturally an organized person. I am naturally um a person who likes to be busy. So I, I do keep myself moving. Um, and I guess that probably works in my favor for being productive, but not naturally organized. But I have kind of, um, not that I'm an expert in any of this, but I figured out some things that really work for me. And that's what, that's what I want to share here. Even if you don't work from home, I think you'll find this useful because, you know, even, okay, say that you're an at-home mom full-time, well, you're still managing your household. So that involves work on some level. It'll involve some emailing, some phone calls, some calendars, some budgets, you know, that kind of thing. Um, others of us volunteer. I know um, one woman in particular who, she stays home with kids, but she also, like, puts on this uh, conference in, in her diocese every year, and that's a big job. So there might be something like that that you're involved in, but you may also be a, a person who works from home at least part-time. So um, so I just want to share some of my ideas. So the first one that I want to share that really works for me, and this is something I've kind of come to, um, is using inbox zero as like a real attainable goal in my life. Now, if you don't know what inbox zero is, it's something that kind of went around a couple of years ago where people were like, you you got to get your inbox down to absolutely no emails like every day. You know, I don't do that. But I did um, start probably about two years ago, and I've been pretty good about it working toward that as a doable goal and getting down to inbox zero a couple of times a week at least. Um, But the way I do it is, first of all, I use an app. I use Gmail and all of my email goes into this this one account. Um, This may not work for everybody, but this is what worked for me. I have a work email and then I have my daniellebean.com email and then I have Gmail. And I used to try to keep the accounts separate, like only work stuff was in my work email. And, you know, just trying to keep my life kind of separated that way because I thought that would make sense. But uh, it didn't make sense. It was too hard for me trying to maintain multiple accounts. I just really needed it all to be in one place because you know what? In my head, it's all in one place anyway. You know, my work is in in my head as well as my my home and my family and um, all of the things I'm doing in my personal life and the things that I'm doing in my own ministry, including this podcast or um, things at daniellebean.com. So, you know, there's there's a lot that a lot of different kind of hats that I think I'm wearing and yet it makes sense for me to make them all one hat. It 
that's how I handle it. I used to try to keep it separate. I used to, you know, have like set amounts of time that were work hours. And I still do. I mean, generally, I, I need to because of my job that I, I have, which is full time, you know, working for um, working as a publisher for Bired, which is the company that publishes Catholic Digest and the two other magazines that I'm publisher of. Um, you know, I need to keep basic work hours because my, my colleagues are working pretty much, you know, nine to five each day on weekdays. And I need to make sure that I'm available during those times. Um, but still, there there is some give and take there. There is some flex there that I really do need in order to be able to live the life that I live and manage my family at the same time as working full time from home. So um, there's some back and forth there. And I find that it's, I, I need it I need all of my email to kind of be in the same place and and it just makes more sense for me to kind of manage it that way. So it all goes into my email account, my Gmail account. And I have an app on my phone that's, um, it's called Inbox. It's a Gmail app, which is just a super streamlined look at your inbox and you can easily like swipe things done. You can set reminders in there. You can set to-do tasks. And and basically what I do is I use my email as a to-do list. That's my stuff that I need to get done. Sometimes the thing that I need to get done is, you know, for work, it's a colleague asking for something or somebody that I need to give information to. So their email in my inbox will serve as a to-do, need to do that, right? Um, but then other times I'll have a work-related task, whether, you know, I just, we just um, had our big budget meetings, which are an annual thing this past week, and I needed to do some preparations for that. And I will break down a task like that into even three or four different tasks and send myself an email for every one of those tasks. So just the, the subject line will be what I need to do, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, setting a budget for a certain magazine or something. I'll make that one task, you know, um, or calling somebody because I need information in order to accomplish the task or whatever it is, you know, so it'll be my email subject line will be like call, you know, Joe or whatever, whoever I need to call. Um, I find this works really well because it does motivate me. The idea that I can see a, like a, a tangible, visible list of what I need to do in a day. And it can kind of set my priorities that way. So um, I think I've shared on the podcast before that generally it'll be like the night before I look at what I need to do. Um, and some of it's, a lot of it's work-related in my email, of course. Um, but some of it is not work-related. It might be something like call the dentist or, um, you know, make an appointment for the dog at the vet or um, some household task that I need to get to or, you know, whatever whatever it is that I know I need to accomplish in a day. So I'll, I'll the night before send these emails to myself where I've, I've got this list. So then the next day I've got my inbox in the morning and I can just clean it up. Now this requires me to kind of be um, really strict, <laughs> not kind of, to be really strict about how I handle email. And I am super efficient about email. Some people might think I'm rude. I don't know. I kind of made my peace with that. Like I need email to be a tool that works for me. And sometimes I'm going to be real short and sweet in an email and maybe people are going to think I'm rude. But, um, and then sometimes, um, I found like if I, if I hear from people that, you know, maybe read a book of mine or they listen to the podcast and I love to get feedback from people like that, but sometimes emails like that are, they're great. And then I feel paralyzed. Like I have to respond to this person. And I generally do try to respond. Um, a, a few years ago, I, I had to, when I was blogging more regularly, I got a lot of emails and I, I kind of had to make my peace with not 
not always being able to respond to everybody. Now I generally do make it a goal to at least respond, but sometimes I still feel paralyzed because they're asking me for something or, you know, they, they want um, an opinion about something or help with something, which I, I want to be able to do, but it's not always possible for me to do, or it's not always possible. It's not always reasonable for me to spend the amount of time that I w- would need to in order to answer this person or gather resources for them or, you know, whatever it is, people, you know, people are needy. People ask for stuff. And um, I, I, I'm so grateful for the fact that people trust me and will, you know, reach out to me in that way, like feeling like I'm a, I'm a friend to them, but I can't always do it. And so um, sometimes I do just, you know, send back a, a short note and um, not always fulfill all their requests. And I've kind of learned that doing this method, because I'm aiming for that inbox zero, I'm aiming for that goal, cleaning out my inbox completely, it kind of pushes me to kind of make those decisions. Because sometimes you let an email sit in your inbox forever, and you know you're not going to do the thing, and you just let it sit there and don't answer. At least I used to. And I know other people who have this habit of like, oh, they they emailed me asking me to go to that party. And you just kind of like put off because you're not sure or you you don't, I don't know what it is. Something mentally blocks you from responding or figuring, like you're not sure if if you and your family are going to be able to attend that event and you need to RSVP by, you don't have to answer this email. Well, I know I used to do this sort of thing. Like I just need to talk to Dan and make sure, you know, like see if we're available, see if he wants to go, see if, you know, we don't have some other thing to do, whatever. Um, And for some reason I had this mental block and wouldn't do that. Like this makes me do that. You know, so um, I I find it's really helpful. It it really kind of having that inbox zero as a goal, at least as a goal, I'm not hitting it every day, but having it as a goal, it makes me accomplish those tasks that are there. It's it's very helpful to me as a reminder for the things I need to do, even inside of my household, but even in my work. And I find it's very freeing because sometimes we lie awake at night because we're afraid we're going to forget stuff. Do you do this? Like it's kind of running through your head like your your endless to-do list and you're like continually kind of reminding yourself of got to do that thing, got to do that thing, got to do that thing. And I know I used to spend hours just lying awake worrying about all the stuff I had to do kind of subconsciously, never, you know, fully thinking it through, but thinking I need to keep reminding myself or I'm afraid I'm going to forget these things that I need to get done. This is very freeing because you're making this list, you're sending yourself those reminders and you can just be at peace. You know, in the morning, you're going to see your list and, or throughout the day, you can check your list and be reminded of all those things that you need to do. And I found I've gotten really much better at actually doing those things because they're on my list. And I, I want, I want to be able to cross that. I want to be able to archive that email and, and take it out of my, my inbox. So um, it's very motivating for me and it, it might work for you or some variation of that might work for you. Just really using your email inbox as a to-do and having inbox zero as a goal, you know? Maybe you won't get there except for once a month or whatever, but having it as a goal, I think, makes us much more efficient about email. And um, so that's really helpful. All right, the other thing that I want to mention that makes my work at home life so much easier and pleasant and healthy is my walking workspace, my desk, sort of a desk. I mean, Dan helped me, but add this to my treadmill, this um, kind of just kind of like a board that we can, you know, add on on top of the treadmill, but also remove it where so I can have a laptop. I've talked about this on the show before. So I can work on my laptop or I can take a work phone call while I am walking. And I don't always do this. Um, but you know, I, I started last year to try and make it a goal to get to 10,000 steps every day. And this was one way that I was able to do that. I mean, I'm often on the phone for my work. And, um, you know, 
if you can be walking, if you can be moving, it's so much better for you than sitting all day, which is what my work generally would require me to do. Or, you know, previously I was, you know, going to sit down and do a bunch of emails, which, um, oh, I didn't mention this in my email um, segment there, but I do do email kind of like in batches. Like I, I don't just answer it all throughout the day. I mean, I have some days where I'm a mess like that and I'm just constantly checking and, you know, answering and whatever. But those are not my most efficient days. My most efficient days are where I say at 11 o'clock, I'm going to spend, you know, 11 to 12 on email and just really work through that inbox and get all those things done. Um, so, you know, that that's an idea. But anyway, so if I'm going to be doing a chunk of time on email, and email is, is a task that I can really do while walking. It's not, I mean, and I, I'm not walking fast, okay? I'm, I've got it on, usually I'll put it on like 2.2, so it's a super slow walk, but those steps add up, and it makes a huge difference in how I feel at the end of the day, um, whereas, you know, I might be kind of like wired and tired if I've been sitting all day, but working intensely, like mental, mentally working, but just physically really just, you know, sedentary. That makes, I, I don't know, I, I feel terrible at the end of those days, and um, so I don't spend all my time that I spend on the computer um walking but I spend a good a good amount of it and I always it, it kind of makes me feel kind of better about some of those long long sometimes conference calls that I need to be a part of and it makes me feel like it's you know it's a good use of my time I'm being very efficient I'm actually you know moving around and I'm not trapped to a desk um sitting the whole time so um my walking desk and I've seen some contraptions that you can like add to your your treadmill and whatever that are hundreds of dollars. You don't need to do that. Like get someone in your life if you don't feel like you can do it who can help you just like clamp a board onto that thing that you can remove for when you want to use it for running. But I mean, it is not a fancy situation I've got with my walking desk, but I love it. And I love that then it kind of makes like if I'm feeling, you know, physically tired, not that I'm exhausted after walking, but you feel, you know, physically tired if I've walked for three miles while I'm I'm doing some amount of work on my computer, then I find it's it's like, oh, it's a treat. I could sit down now for this segment of work that I'm going to do. Just kind of varying what I'm doing with my body while I'm working it makes a huge difference in how I feel and what my energy levels are. If you're moving your body more, I don't know how to explain it. It makes me have more energy. I feel so much better than if I'm sitting still for hours and hours. So um, it kind of breaks it up that way. So I really recommend finding a way to incorporate walking with your work. It might be just that you take phone calls and you walk outside, you know, depending on what time of year it is and where you live. That might be possible. I've certainly done that before. Um, so you can just be moving and while you're working. I think it's really helpful. Um, also along those lines, I wanted to mention getting wireless earbuds or a headset. Huge, huge help to me. I couldn't do my work at home, I think, without those things. Like holding a phone to your ear is horrible. It's so horrible. It feels horrible. You hurt your ear and your shoulder gets cramped and trying to like work on a computer. You just need a headset. If you're doing any amount of phone calls, you need a headset or I, I sometimes use my, my wireless earbuds, which are, are cool for that kind of thing. You know, if you get some that have a microphone, totally worth the investment. And um, it just, you know, it makes your life so much easier, um, especially if you need to be on the phone. And there's so many ways, like it's so I mean, I use, um, my cell phone doesn't get great coverage at my house, so I don't tend to use it a lot for work calls, but I use Google Voice, and I can just make calls right from my email, right from my um, Gmail account, and it's totally 
efficient and I love it and it keeps track of all my my contacts in there. Um, so really recommend using that, but then just, you know, plugging a headset or using earbuds in order to do those phone calls. It works great. Okay, the other one that I want to mention, the other tip for working at home or any amount of work that you're going to do that you're kind of balancing your life with, set up rewards for yourself for the work that you do get done. I try to break up my tasks and motivate myself. And sometimes I motivate myself with something that even just seems dumb or mundane, like when I'm done with this, I'm going to get to go for a walk. You know, or when I'm done with this, I'm going to, you know, get to sit down and have lunch and read a chapter of that book that, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about or whatever it is, you know, find what motivates you and make yourself do the blah task, the thing that you're tempted to procrastinate on, because we all have that stuff. And as much as possible, get that blah task done in the morning, you know, find yourself, Um, The time to get it done earlier in the day while you're not exhausted, while you still have willpower that, um, you know, I've been reading a lot about willpower um, recently. It's kind of a a buzz thing to talk about right now, um, especially among those kind of productivity podcasts that I mentioned at the start of the show. But um, the idea is that we only have a set amount of willpower to do the hard things in our days. like whether it's working out or doing a dreaded boring task that you know needs to get done that's just kind of like grunt work. Um, some For some of us, that's email. Um, but whatever it is, whatever the thing is that you're tempted to procrastinate on, do it earlier in your day when you're not tired and you're not depleted. And, you know, you only have a set amount of willpower. And if you use it all up in, you know, early in your day, um, doing things that aren't essential or whatever, then you're, you're going to have trouble. You're going to end up eating that, you know, chocolate chip cookie that you didn't want to eat because you just don't have the will to say no anymore, or you're going to continue to procrastinate on those jobs that really are important to you and help you to achieve your goals, whether it's in your work or your family life. So get it done, get it done early in the day. Okay. And so my next tip is actually related to that workout in the morning. Now, this is the first year, this school year is the first year that I've successfully done that on any level. And before that, it really felt impossible. Like it felt impossible for me to get up earlier and get a workout in, except on very rare occasions. So I understand if it feels impossible to you. But let me tell you, it's been a game changer for me. It's been such a help to me to just have that time in the morning where I get my workout in. It sets my energy level for the day. And more than that, I think it's just mentally, I feel good. Like I did it. You know, I, I did that. I, the thing that's hard and I got it out of the way at the start of my day and I feel accomplished right at the start of my day because I've, I've already gotten my workout in. And also I found that when I was working out regularly and it wasn't first thing in the morning, I used up a lot of mental energy just figuring out when I could work out each day. I wasn't working out at a set time really. Um, and I was trying to figure out when, where's this pocket of time where I can actually, you know, get a run in or, um, spend a little time with the weights or whatever it is. And that took up a lot of mental energy. And now I I don't have that. I don't have that in my mind throughout the day. And I'm not, you know, it's dumb. The things that we allow to take up mental space in our heads, I think, sometimes. So this kind of made it kind of a no-brainer for me. And, And I know everybody says to, you know, work out in the morning. And I always kind of rolled my eyes on it. And maybe you're rolling your eyes, too, about it. Um, But 
that's okay. I want to encourage you, though, if, if you're at all considering it, if it's at all possible for you to get your workout done in the morning, it really makes made a huge difference for me. I really love having that time and getting it done first thing in the morning. So, um, And it does, it sets your energy level. You don't have to be doing a hardcore workout if you don't want. I mean, you could just go for a walk in the morning. Just get your body moving. And, um, you know, studies show that it's actually really a good time first thing in the morning for you to um, work out. People that work out first thing in the morning get better sleep and, you know, all of your kind of body rhythms are, are set into place by being physically active first thing in the morning. It's a good idea. So working out in the morning, also kind of along those lines of figuring out how to be productive in your day. And this could be for even just, um, you know, whether if you're just like a homemaker and you've got a list of jobs that you want to get done in your house, um, vary the kinds of jobs that you're doing throughout your day. Um, And I, I find this is really helpful because if I am just sitting at my computer, typing, writing, um, editing, answering emails, whatever, you know, computer type work for hours and hours and hours without breaking it up, I'm going to go nuts. And even if I'm at my walking desk, you know, I'm going to go crazy. And just mentally, I need a break from that. And we all do. So I really do um, recommend varying what you're doing. And it might just be something as simple as, you know, I'm going to get this this chunk of work done that needs to be done on the computer. Then I'm going to go and throw a load of laundry in you know, or um, I'll get a certain amount of phone calls done, um, whatever I, I need, you know, I need to call several people, I'll get all the calls done. And then uh, I'll take a break, I'll go and do some prep for, for dinner that night, you know, just mentally, you're in a different place. And I find that's really helpful. Um, breaking up, you know, my kids needs with regard to the ones who, who need help with their schoolwork or um, driving jobs, you know, I kind of see my day that way. I'm not super regimented about how I schedule my days. Um, I, I do tend to schedule phone calls when I'm when I have some control over it for certain times that make the most sense for for my schedule and for my kids schedules. But that's not always possible. Um, so I'm not super regimented about my my daily schedules and, and it can really vary. Um, but I do try to vary the tasks throughout my day and in a way that keeps me energized and motivated. I just find that I really kind of look forward to that mental break. Like I remember a few years ago um, and, you know, I was still adjusting to working at home full time. I worked at home part time for many years before it became full time work for me. And that was a real balance. It was a real adjustment for me figuring out how to do that. Um, And I just remember like, spending a day super stressed about whatever, you know, I don't even know what was going on with my work, but I, it was a stressful time for me. And I remember at the end of it, just being like, I just so want to fold a load of laundry right now. I can't even tell you how much I would enjoy folding a load of laundry, like having that kind of um, almost mindless physical task, which we know our lives, raising families, are. there's plenty of that to do, um, broken up by the things that are more mentally challenging, whether it's, you know, conversations or writing or um, working with um, numbers or budgeting in any kind of way. Um, so I, I don't know, I just maybe give some thought to that. I know some people really like to be like, Wednesdays are the day that I do my phone calls and Thursdays are the day that I handle email. And I mean, if that works for you, that's great. But I find I really need things to kind of be varied throughout my day. And it motivates me in that way. It almost feels like a, and this is so dumb and so dorky, but it feels like a reward to me. Like, I'm just going to go chop vegetables for tonight's stew, you know. <laughs> but you know, if you could, if you could 
trick yourself that way, if you can make yourself feel like making dinner is a reward for something, go for it. It really works. It motivates me anyway. Um, Okay, the last tip that I want to mention is using your pockets of time in creative ways. Now, what I mean by that, actually, right now is a perfect example of what I am talking about. It's I'm recording a podcast in the car during Stephen's confirmation class, (laughs) whereas in my previous life, I might not have ever thought about using this time that way. Um, I probably would have driven him and then gone home and puttered around at home until it was time to pick him up, you know. But now I just see an opportunity in things like this, where I can drive him and I've got a set amount of time there that I can get a set amount of work done. Sometimes it's doing something like a podcast, but sometimes it's getting work done. And um, I find that being creative about that and open to using those pockets of time is super efficient for me. Um, And it, you know, because then I'm out of the house. And that is helpful. That is super helpful to not have, you know, my kitchen there asking me to load the dishwasher or, you know, the laundry machines buzzing at me or the kids asking for my, my attention in various ways or my help with various things, which of course is part of my life and my responsibilities. But um, to, to focus on work in an undistracted way, sometimes you got to get out of your house. You, you do. Um, and I know that like defeats the whole purpose of work at home, but I find that I can be super focused and much more efficient with my time um, if I use a pocket of time where I'm outside of the house like that. Um, but also I do this at home too, where, you know, maybe Dan, um, like he's, he's going to be away, he, you know, whether it's for his his work or it's for um, coaching baseball or whatever, there's a set amount of time where I, I know Dan is going to be out of the house, maybe with some of the kids. And so there's there's less of a need for my, my full attention and presence, you know, during that time. Um, I will choose that time to do something like a podcast or, you know, something that requires me to kind of be focused for a set amount of time, or I will, you know, set a goal for that amount of time. Like the time that Dan is at baseball practice with the little boys, I am going to get this, this particular work project done, um, you know, whatever it is. And I I find that that kind of, it motivates me, but then it also reins me in and keeps me focused, which is the big challenge. And along those lines, um, another way that you can kind of use this challenge or these pockets of time and kind of break up your day and think about it in terms of these pockets of time, which motivates you is to just time yourself. If you have some job that you hate doing, whether it's scrubbing out your bathtub or answering emails or making phone calls or, you know, making a schedule or a calendar for something, motivate yourself by setting a timer. Say, you know what? I'm going to spend 20 minutes on this task. Set a timer and focus on that task for 20 minutes. You can do anything for 20 minutes, you know, (laughs) and tell yourself at the end of the 20 minutes, whether it's done or not, I I can walk away from it and I'll set another 20 minutes, you know, either later in the day or tomorrow to finish it if I need to. But all I have to do is 20 minutes. And I find that more often than not, 20 minutes is a lot of time and you can get a lot done if you're focused. If you know that when the timer rings, you're going to stop. Um, I find that that really motivates me and it keeps me focused on the task in a way that I'm not, you know, if I'm just like, oh, I'm here and I'm, oh, I'm going to try to make myself do this dreaded, you know, email task or this dreaded, you know, budget task or whatever it is. And next thing you know, you're like clicking around Facebook, you know, (laughs) but I find if you set a timer that um, it really is a very efficient way to motivate, at least me, it works well for me, um, motivate myself to use that, that set amount of time efficiently because I know 
it has an end. It has an end to it. And that, that makes it just seem all the more doable. Okay, so those are my, my real life tips. They're, none of them are super genius productivity hacks or anything like that. But just a little, a little kind of peek into the way that I function, the way in which I balance my, my many different responsibilities, which we all have, you know, whether you're working at home or not, we all have many responsibilities. And um, so that, those are some systems that work for me. Just to, to recap, um, I use my email inbox as a to-do list. I have a walking desk. I use a earbuds with a microphone or a headset for calls. Um, I set up rewards for myself to mentally challenge myself and reward myself for getting um, certain tasks done. I work out in the morning. I vary the kinds of jobs that I'm doing throughout the day between home and work, physical and mental kinds of jobs. And the last one, I try to use pockets of time in creative ways to be efficient and focused in my work. If you work from home in any capacity or balance any kind of work with your home life and you have some tips for ways that you do it, some ideas to share, some creative ideas, I would love to hear from you and be able to share them with others. You can email me danielle at daniellebean.com or you can go to daniellebean.com and click leave voice feedback or voicemail. I think it says leave voicemail. Or you can connect with me on Voxer. I would just love to have your ideas and your voice to share on a future episode of Girlfriends. Okay, and now I want to give a big thank you to our newest Patreon supporter of the Girlfriends podcast, Colleen, who pledged her support just this past week. If you would like to support the Girlfriends podcast, if you appreciate what I do here and you want to encourage and sponsor its production week after week you can do that at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash girlfriends and you too can become a contributing member of the girlfriends family i'd love to add you to that list and one of the benefits you get if you make a pledge in any amount as low as a dollar per episode as little as that commitment which um really it does make a difference it makes a difference in motivating me and encouraging me you may feel like what why would i even bother but it adds up and it it helps to cover some of the costs that are associated with producing the podcast. So I'm so grateful for it. And one of the benefits that you get is you get an invitation to our monthly Girlfriends Live where we hang out and chat on video. Um, You can just come and and listen and participate with your own video or you can um, use the chat box to ask your questions. And um, it's a ton of fun. And actually, we're doing one on April 10th, which is tomorrow. Um, If you're it's actually today because this you won't get this podcast till tomorrow. Um, So April 10th, Monday at 8pm Eastern time is the next Girlfriends live session. And I'm looking forward to connecting with people there. So um, that's just one of the many benefits that you get as a supporting member of Girlfriends. Girlfriends. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash girlfriends. I so appreciate it. And I really, I really am encouraged by your contributions there. Thank you so much. Hello, Danielle. This is Vanessa from California. I am a long time, long time, um, just fan um, of all that you write and, and your podcasts. And I've just been recently catching up on a lot of your shows. And today I was listening to, I believe, episode 57, Gener- uh, Generosity in Marriage. And I just have to say that I so appreciate that you are real. And you don't um, shy away from, you know, putting yourself out there and 
it just makes us feel like we're not alone. You know, there are a lot of people out there, and they're not just Catholics, there's a lot of people out there who, when it comes to social media, they put their best face forward, which is, I understand that, I understand it. But when it comes to um, our vocation and trying to learn from each other, I think it's it's best when we can be honest with each other, of course, within certain boundaries, you know, you can't tell all, but your honesty had me laughing so hard because when you were saying how even to say you are sorry that you, you have a, a problem with actually getting the words out of your mouth. And it made me laugh because I can relate. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's called and told you that. So anyways, I just want to thank you so much. I listened to many other Catholic blogs and I love them all for all different reasons. I love them all. And um, I think that's what's beautiful about social media and podcasts that you guys all bring your gifts to the table and it helps us in different ways. And I so appreciate your realness just, I don't know. I just love it. And, and the NFP one also I listened to and it was great. So I really enjoyed listening to you. I thank you very much. And I'm going to add you to my prayers because I always try to, first of all, when I, when I'm praying, I thank God for people like you and there's other, you know, great Catholic, uh, writers and I, you know, I thank God for people like you. And I'm going to add Danielle Bean to my prayers. So anyways, you and your family. So God bless, take care. And um, thank you very much. And I'm hoping you're having nicer weather. So anyways, good night. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Vanessa, for the kind words and the encouragement for being real. Because you know what? I appreciate that about other people's sharing as well. And um, that is something that I really look for in the kinds of blogs that I'll read and um, the podcasts that I'll listen to. I just really want people to be real. And I, and I know it, it's, and I understand why sometimes it's always bright, happy, shiny faces that people are putting out on social media. And I don't mean that we should be dragging our, our dirty laundry out there. But um, I find, especially when we're talking about marriage and we're talking about our own stupid pride and weakness, especially inside of marriage, that's a very humbling thing. It is hard to share. Um, so I do try to be real about that because I know it's a struggle. And I, I you're right. I did hear from many people about that, that episode in particular, people really sharing what on their hearts and what their struggles are inside of marriage so hard and thank you so much for your prayers I appreciate it and you know what I pray for the people that listen to this podcast so right back at you Vanessa and um, I really I think of the people who listen to this podcast and the and you know some of you who I've gotten to know a little bit who've reached out um, and, and shared with me what's going on in your lives and what's in your hearts and and your thoughts is about the different topics that I, I feel like we're kind of like a little community and I, I would love for us all to get together you know and I know that's not physically possible, but, you know, like the Girlfriends Live that I, I, I shared about um, is, is one way that we can kind of interact that way. My dream would be to really build up the Facebook page, but I just... I, I realize I don't have time to maintain a Facebook group right now, and I need to be realistic about that. But um, just know that I am praying for you guys, and, and I hope that you'll pray for the other people listening as well. We all need so many prayers, and we all need that support and encouragement. So thank you, Vanessa. If you would like to leave me a voicemail and make my day like Vanessa did, you can do that. Um, Vanessa connected with me on Voxer. The link to connect 
on Voxer is in all the show notes for all the episodes of Girlfriends. You can go to daniellebean.com and get that link to connect with me on Voxer, which is a cool app, which allows you to kind of leave a voicemail for me and um, we can connect and chat even just typing on there so um that's that's one way to connect um you can use good old-fashioned email danielle at daniellebean.com or you can just record on your phone and send me an mp3 other people have done that and so that's a real easy way to add your voice to a future podcast of the girlfriends program Okay, well, speaking of reader feedback, I did get an email from listener Christine this week. And um, let me just open it up here. Christine says, Hi, Danielle, I love your podcast, and I look forward to listening every week. I have a pretty common question for you. How can I teach my kids to behave at mass? We have three children so far, ages four, two and a half, and a three-month-old, and I kind of dread taking them to mass each week. I'm tempted to leave the older two with my mom because they're just so restless and disruptive. My husband and I are exhausted at the end of Mass each week. I know I need to bring them and teach them how to behave better, but it's tempting to throw in the towel. We would like to have more children, and I see large families at Mass all the time where their kids seem to really know how to sit still for an hour. What is their secret? Do you have any tips to share with me before I give up altogether? Christine. Oh, gosh, you're right. This is a common question, Christine, and probably I could do an entire show about it, um, but um, I'm not going to do that right now. In fact, it was recently a topic that we talked about because I did get the question from somebody else on a um, recent Girlfriends Live um, chat session. We talked about um, what... Um, what kinds of things you can do to make your life easier with bringing small kids to mass. And I think everybody can relate. We, I mean, even if your kids are, <laughs> seem like perfect angels, we all can relate to disaster masses, that feeling of exhaustion. I remember being like just sweating, just physically sweating by the end of mass because of the emotional and physical trauma of having to get my kids through it. And so I totally get that. And I think we've all experienced maybe some negative interactions with other people because of our kids at mass. Um, largely, it's been my experience that people are encouraging of my kids at mass, um, even when they were little. But we've all had that one rare cranky person or whatever that you unfortunately run into. And parents are really vulnerable. Parents with young children are exhausted and they're, they're really, you know, they're feeling insecure and vulnerable when they're, they've got their kids who maybe aren't behaving the way they want them to. So it's horrible. Even the slightest thing we can feel really sensitive about. Um, even, you know, just like a look that someone else might give you or you think that they're giving you. But the first thing I want to say, Christine, is you, you can so leave your older two kids with your mom. If that makes your life easier right now, you are allowed to do that. Um, I realize that you you have that goal of teaching them to behave better at Mass, and of course they need to be at Mass in order to do that. Um, but it might be a nice break for you, at least every once in a while, to do that. And it's totally okay. They don't have to be at Mass at those ages. Um, when they're preparing for First Communion is really when I would start to be a real stickler about making sure a kid was going to Mass with us every week. Um, but for sure, I mean, and we always had the goal of attending all of us together as a family. But for sure, there were times in um, our lives where one child was just horrible. And usually that's in that 18 months to three years old kind of age. It's really challenging at church and they don't quite get it yet. And some some kids' personalities are more challenging than others. And sometimes, yep, it absolutely made the most sense for us to either take turns, you know, take shifts, like one of us goes to the nine o'clock mass and the other one goes to 1030 and the kid stays at home with the other parent. It's okay. You can do that. But if you do say that it's a goal and, and you don't want to, what you call, throw in the towel, I'm just telling you, it's okay. You're allowed to do that, at least sometimes, if, if it makes your life easier. 
I want to tell you that it does get easier. It does. Those families, those large families that you talk about, I can relate because um, I'm, you know, for most of our lives, we did get complimented on the fact that our children behaved in church. Um, but it wasn't always like that. It was hardest with the first two, three, because in a, in a large family or a family of any size, I think the older ones end up kind of setting the tone for the younger ones. Like if you have a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old who's sitting quietly at mass, the younger kids pick up on that cue from the kid more so than you tearing your hair out and telling them, shush, for the 50,000th time, you know? They they see what their older brothers and sisters do, and they take their cues from them. So once you put in that effort with your first kids, it does pay off. I've seen it. I know it. I mean, not perfectly every time, but it does pay off with the younger kids. It does get easier. And um, another thing that I've heard many people do, and, and we've done this with great success, is sit near the front. It sounds like the last thing in the world you'd want to do with an unruly child, but I find that they, they're really bored if you are just sitting at the back of the church and they just hear voices coming from up you know, in the front. But if they can watch what's going on, if they can watch the priest, you can whisper in their ear about what's going on, about what's happening. So much the better. They feel engaged. And yeah, they're not going to perfectly understand everything that's going on at mass, but they're going to feel more a part of something. And, you know, I have experienced that kids are capable of a greater sense of reverence than we give them credit for sometimes. And they can achieve it. If you are talking about holy things in a reverent way and showing them to them, letting them experience them firsthand, letting them witness what's going on on the altar, they will be, they will learn that sense of awe and reverence. Not perfectly, I'm not promising that, but they do learn it, I think, much better if they can see what's going on. The next thing I want to mention is to have some expectations, set a standard. Sometimes that's the the missing element. <laughs> that's it's just so funny that I'm talking about this um because just this morning um Dan and I went to mass alone together because you know we were at the concert and we were on our way back so we just hit mass on the way back. So we were in a parish that we weren't familiar with and there was honestly the worst behaved child behind us and I don't think he was with his parents. He was probably like 3, I don't know. I think he was with either two aunts or two older sisters. I don't know. They did not have control of this child. And he was literally running loops around the little segment of pews we were in and laughing and, you know, trying to make them chase him. And I mean, it was very distracting. And I mean, <laughs> I have high tolerance level for kids' behavior at mass. And I certainly wasn't going to give anybody dirty looks or anything like that. At one point, you know, we were kneeling on the kneelers and the kid was underneath the pew, just like crawling on my legs. And of course, it's Palm Sunday. So he had a palm and he was torturing other people all around him <laughs> with his palm. And anyway, I just think it's funny. And what I thought to myself, and you know, it I don't know what's going on with that kid. Maybe he has special needs and, and maybe he, you know, that's how he can experience mass. And I am not judging anybody. But, um, you know, having expectations and setting a standard, I think, is the number one thing. And sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we forget that to talk about what your expectations are, to talk about what your standards are and repeat and repeat and repeat. And um, I find it's really, it's been helpful to me, not just in behavior at mass, but just in life and parenting in general, the fact that my husband is a really, really strict disciplinarian. Not, I mean, yes, he's a very authoritative figure. And um, I, you know, I think that it, that's been so helpful to me because he sets that standard. I, you know, for the most part, I just had to kind of repeat it and reinforce it, but he would set it in a super clear way for our kids, like what the standard of behavior was for in mass. And for when they were little, this is another little um, tip <laughs> that I'll tell you is um, when they were, when, 
whatever child it was that was unruly or hard to um, have sit still for an hour, we would allow them to move um, in the pew. We didn't want it to be disruptive to other people. Um, but like I would sit on one end of the pew and Dan would sit on the other end of the pew. And sometimes we'd have a shorter distance between us, not the entire pew, and allow the child to move in that space in between us, not going beyond us, you know. Um, I found that was kind of a nice compromise for certain ages where they just had this need to move their bodies and um, just to keep it so that it's contained in the pew, you're kind of allowing, that's kind of a little bit of a compromise. You're kind of allowing some movement. Um, And when your kids are older, you can use an older kid for one of the anchors, (laughs) one of the bookends that's going to hold the kid in place. So um, those are my suggestions and and just the the encouragement that it really is worthwhile. really does pay off. And like all things in parenting, it just takes a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears in the meantime. And you're going to have some really, really humiliating episodes, um, experiences, probably we all have been there and just, you know, focus on the fact that you're going to have a funny story to tell somebody later or to torture that kid with as they grow older. Um, Maybe other people, other listeners have ideas to share with Christine and other moms who are struggling with kids' behavior at Mass, um, send them to me, danielle at daniellebean.com, or send me that voice feedback. I would love to hear from you, and I'm sure Christine would as well. And that's it. We're out of time for another week. Thank you so much for being here. Your presence really is really is precious to me. It means the world to me. The fact that you you show up and spend this little bit of time with me, that you you give me the gift of your time, spending the time listening to the things that I share here at Girlfriends. I hope that your Holy Week is going to be an excellent one. And I hope that you, the end of your Lent is going to be a joyful time. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you about how Holy Week is going and sharing about the different topics that we've talked about here today. So until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a daniellebean.com production. Know your worth. Find your joy.